Okay, welcome back to the Paperless Federalist. I'm Justin. And I'm Carrie. Okay, uh, looks like we're recording. Uh, we have a little bit of different setup, so hopefully we got new and improved and uh, significantly better sound this time around. It so. is to be hoped. <laughs> so we're back here um, with uh, Federalist number seven. The same subject continued concerning the dangers from dissension between the states. For the Independent Journal, uh, Mr. Alexander Hamilton is back in full force again this week. And once again, obviously addressing to the people of the state of New York. And I'm going to throw it over to Kerry for his uh, several-minute uh, rundown. Uh, and uh, Kerry, can you break it down for us as to what Hamilton is saying or attempting to argue in this this section of his uh, most recent paper? Well, I will. But before I get into the rundown, I just want to say a few words about Episode 6 and make sure it's on the same page about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, in episodes, I will tell you, I think that Hamilton may have gotten the, the better of us. Episode six on the real lesson two. I think that uh, he was certainly very cunning there. He lured us in to argue about his uh, micro level points about Pericles and various um, women throughout history and uh, Dutch wars. And uh, he really sucked us in. Uh, Well played, Mr. Hamilton. Uh, Coming out of that, I know it's been about, it's been a, a Decent interval of time now since we last recorded, uh, but uh, I think that going forward, we're going to focus a little bit more on uh, taking a, a broader perspective, maybe stay, uh, avoid some of the micro level analysis. I know in thinking of a unifying theme going forward, my thinking is, um, uh, to the humble listener, uh, our goal really is going forward that if you are dedicated and regular listeners to this podcast, that if you go to some fancy schmancy dinner party, uh, you should be able to uh, ask very well <laughs> that you have actually read the entire paper, Federalist Papers, whether you actually have or not. Okay. But to get the points of the Federalist Papers, so we don't need to have the exact every micro fact. We're going to cover a, lot, a little bit more of the high level. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure you want to provide the listener with the. Uh... The cheat sheet, so to speak, so they can... Exactly, the cheat sheet, the cliff notes, the nuts that passed the exam. So I know in the past we relied more on the fact that the, the listener uh, will have actually read or listened to the, the paper in question right before they listened to us. But going forward, I think we're going to focus a little bit more on whether they have or not, you should be able to get something out of listening to, to each episode. Okay. All right. So that being said, with the, our... Uh, new and different and revised format, uh, let me do the, the point-by-point point summary. So, what is Hamilton talking about here in Federalist Paper Number 7? Well, he's talking about fighting, and he's talking about fighting with two things, fighting with guns and fighting with money. Uh, with guns, he's talking about, uh, he thinks that uh, if the government is not made stronger, you are going to have the individual states uh, shoot it out over land, land they're fighting about, whether that be rivers, whether that be uh, the wide open west, any land that can be had, if there's not a strong federal authority to settle the disputes, the states are going to take it on themselves to uh, gather militias or concerned citizens, what have you. Uh, people are going to be locked and loaded and ready to settle it their own way. And then uh, he thinks that they're also going to be fighting over money. And when I say they're fighting over money, the states are going to try to use their own trade policies, tariffs, which are import taxes, export taxes, in order to give advantage to their own states, their own businesses, over those of, of other states. And how would they do this? A great example he raises is he talks about, well, you got those states with great harbors. And back then, a lot of the, uh, the state, most of the commerce for the United States you know, a lot of the, the uh, high-quality items at the time were still imports. You know, we didn't have a, a big domestic manufacturing business. So, you know, the high-quality European items would come in to large ports like New York, and there were other states that didn't have such vast ports. And so New York would tax these imports that are coming into New York, but they might be destined for other states nearby that didn't have as big a ports. And Hamilton argues, look, doesn't that, you know, doesn't that give an advantage to the states with great harbors because they're really collecting the taxes that all of those other neighboring states would like to collect themselves, but they don't have the ports to do it. They're, they're really gaining uh, tax money off of trade generated by the other states. But, you know, also talking about the idea of, you know, states might 
try to advantage their own businesses and citizens by, uh, you know, if they're a large economy, such as New York at the time, they might try to set up artificial barriers against businesses of the states. You know, they might, they might say, oh, well, New York type of uh, manufactured items are superior to other states, so unless you meet the New York standard, we're going to charge you a tax if you're trying to come in from another state. Interestingly enough, I think uh, it was interesting how he touched on an issue we've talked about in the past. I don't remember exactly what episode it was, but I remember we talked about how even prior to uh, the Constitution being passed, all of these states who had uh, uh, land, you know, had, had claims to unorganized land on their western borders had agreed to give up claims to those lands so they could be organized by the federal government um, entered into new states. Hamilton argues, yeah, that happened. Yeah, the, the the different states agreed that to give up the claim on land. But, hey, if the Articles of Confederation Congress continues to be as weak as it is, then, you know, and it basically collapses because it's too weak, eventually, all, if, if, that, if the Articles of Confederation government falls apart, those states could say, look, we only surrendered that land where the idea was going to the federal authority and to our common use and common benefit. And if that common government is sort of falling apart, then we think that contract or that grant of land is, is void and we want it back. And that could be the very spur for the fighting with guns type conflicts. You know, uh, you know those states who had that unorganized land could say, we want it back. The other states no say could say no. That was for common benefit, and then you know that could trigger a conflict. Uh, my final thought in the summary is Hamilton does in this paper, in, to my mind, explain some of the subjects matter we had questions about previously uh, on the subject of what is John Jay, what is Alexander Hamilton talking about when they talk about uh, you know domestic threats, and it becomes increasingly clear here that. The domestic threat he's talking about is really explicitly this slow slide where states start fighting about things, maybe at a low intensity level, you know, about land conflicts, about trade conflicts. But as it becomes increasingly evident that the Articles of Confederation government is this weak and feckless entity that can't really settle anything, then it escalates. It escalates uh, into, you know, possible violence, uh, you know, a, a shooting war or a trade war. And Hamilton thinks that neither one of those would be good for the states individually or as a whole. And so his argument in this paper is this is exactly why we need to strengthen the central authority so these small conflicts don't become big conflicts that eventually tear us apart and give an opening for European powers to come in and take a part of tearing us apart. So that, that's my basic summation of the big ideas. Fighting with guns, fighting with money, and how it goes from the small squabbles into an all-out conflict. All right. Well, I mean, I think you nailed it, as always. <laughs> Carrie, you're, you're on point. So, uh, well, I specialize in cliff notes, I guess. Yes, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Too bad the listeners didn't have you around in college, you know? You could have really helped some people out. Of um, <laughs> I would have liked to have had my 40 years old self around in college as well. <laughs> my GPA at the time, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now I, we, we talked a little bit uh, before we got started here, um, and it sounded like you were you were pretty geared up and ready to go uh, for this episode. Um, oh, I'm fired up. Definitely. Definitely yeah, fired so up. I'm ready to, to kick back at Alexander Hamilton after the beating he gave us in six. Okay. Well, with that said, is there – is there a particular point that you wanted to start off with as far as uh, that caught your eye that you wanted to really get into? I, I wanted to try to break it down and make it a little bit more colloquial, okay. um, even than my cliff notes. Because right. I think that this paper particularly lends itself to some real-world analogies of what the whole government was like then and what the states were like to help us explain, understand it on an everyday level. Okay. And I think that, uh, you know, the, the backdrop, the scenario that Hamilton is talking about here in seven mm -hmm. is about how the states are acting and how the federal government's acting when they're fighting over stuff. Because before the, again, they were under a common government in the Confederation Articles, the Articles of Confederation. Yeah. But it was a weak government. It, it yeah. had limited powers. They were mainly strong powers in regard to foreign conflicts 
but not domestic disputes. Yes. So, and the states are still fighting over everything. They're fighting over land, they're fighting over trade, they're fighting over, you know, anything that there is to fight over, they're fighting over. Mm-hmm. And I think essentially, I mean, Justin, you're a parent like myself, the states <laughs> of this time and how how petty they're being, they're like a bunch of siblings, a bunch of little kids fighting over their parents' iPad. Well, hey, you know, Carrie, I don't know how it is in your household, but... Uh, it's bad. I know. I mean, over here, I mean, maybe that's just a reflection of, of our, our various parenting skills because uh, I, I my, my children are just, you know, walk on water, you know. <laughs> you must be the post-Articles of Confederation parenting. I'm still I'm still locked into the Articles. Here, here's the solution for fighting over an iPad. Get everybody in the house their own iPad. <laughs> We're moving closer to that goal. And, you know, but I it's think a, it's, a, it's an expensive struggle. Steve Jobs um, is, is smiling down uh, at my um, uh, but, <laughs> thumbs up for his products. <laughs> but based on my great experience of working with this, this situation, yeah. here is how it's like. When I said they're fighting over the iPad, what is the iPad? Okay, The iPad is these western lands. There's all this dang land out there to the west beyond the yeah. 13 colonies. And that's the iPad. And it's a huge iPad. What is it? <laughs> But ha- here, you might even even when you're post articles Confederation parenting, you might have had this scenario. Yeah, yeah, they're fighting over the iPad. They're arguing over who deserves it and who doesn't. Yep. Neither one of them will give in to the other. But if the parent comes along and says, "Give me the dang iPad," they'll give the parent the iPad. They won't give each other the iPad. Just like the states were willing to say, "Okay." We're not going to give you the Western land we claim, but if we all give up our Western land, yeah. then we agree to give it to the parent, which is the federal government. Okay. And so, and and in that scenario, then when the parent says, "Okay, somebody, I'm done. I don't need the iPad anymore. Someone else can have it." That's the collapse of the Articles of Confederation government. Mm-hmm. And then if that happens, all the kids are like, "Well, we won it again. Yeah. We, we would have had it before ourselves." You know. Yeah. And that's that scenario where. They've given up the iPad to the parent, but only for the parent's use. If that parent then takes the iPad from one kid and gives, he said, gives it to the other one, oh, yeah. oh hell. Yeah. No, I only gave it to you to give it to you. I didn't give it to you to give to my brother, Pennsylvania. They're <laughs> jerks. They've been jerks to me all day long. <laughs> That's the analogy is they're fighting over this iPad, which is the Western lands. Okay. Um, but they won't give it to each other, but they'll give it to the federal no. government. And that's why I think Hamilton argues that Federal government falls apart. The whole land deal falls apart too, because it was conditionally given. Yes, yes. Uh, I think I think you're right there. So uh, let's see. Going with, obviously, I think you were touching there on the first point that he makes about this territorial disputes. You know, um, right off the bat, he gets into that and ta- talks as as being a, an area that's ripe for potential causes of uh, war and just disagreement between the states. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So, uh, the and parent is, uh, you, know, you need the parent to settle it. It does. And, and if it, you have yeah. the scenario where to extend this, to keep extending yeah. this analogy to absurd levels. Why not? <laughs> when the states are fighting over their iPads, yeah. and the Articles of Confederation government is this dysfunctional government, basically, it's this government that it's the parent who Netflix just dropped a whole season worth of new shows that night. <laughs> They gotta watch them. The kids are fighting over there, and by God, they're like, "You kids, you just gonna have to work it out." <laughs> I gotta watch this Game of Thrones just drop. I need to watch. Well, that's a bad analogy. Yeah. That what's a what's a season long one? Uh, Orange oh, is New geez. Black. That, Orange is New Black. It just go. dropped. Yeah. I've got to watch this whole damn season tonight. You guys are just gonna have to work it out. Yeah. That's the weak weak parental authority. And the kids are just going to be like, well, to heck with it. We're just going to settle our own disputes with Nerf weapons or wrestling on the floor or something because the parental authority is too weak. So you can't have yeah. your government watching Netflix when these fights are going on. The federal government has to be strong and attentive enough to sort it out itself. Yes. Pay attention when need be. Yeah. And Hamilton points it out, too. He says, you know, if you don't have an umpire or a common judge to inter- interpose between the contending parties, this is what exactly. you have. You know. Um. So and then you know in uh, right there he then used the parlance of the <clears throat> Simpsons much later. You know if the, if if you don't have the umpire settling the disputes, everything goes to hell. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, 
mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. That is the that Hamilton could have written that line to describe the dissolution of the federal government, uh, <laughs> and not just uh, a Simpsons episode. Okay. So, um, but on that note, then he 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 makes a passing blow as far as a reference to this uh, dispute. Uh, that apparently went on between Connecticut and Pennsylvania respecting the land at Wyoming. And that's, he's just, all he says is at Wyoming. And again, you know, we're 200 plus. I wonder what the hell that meant. Yes. Like, yes. What? Was there a Wyoming then? And, well, that's and exactly. I hope you have an answer because I, I don't. Because well, I was know. like, anything someone said, I, my Wyoming knowledge is just sad. Well, that's the thing. And I, so, you know, harnessing the, the power of, of the modern age uh, and IE Google and uh, the internet in general, <laughs> I did find an answer. It wasn't too hard, but that's I had the same same thought of when did Pennsylvania and Connecticut get into an argument about a you know I'm thinking the state of Wyoming and I'm thinking that's not around. They, they were stronger than I thought they were. Back they were yes. Yeah. So uh, this gets into uh, an argument uh, between the two over an area known as the Wyoming Valley. Um, ah, and the state of Wyoming named for that valley. No, I think so. uh, and so there is a series of what is known as the Pennamite Yankee Wars. I'll kind of run through here how this starts. They called Northern Yankees even back then. Yes. Wow. So what happens was that apparently the Dutch viewed the, I'm going to butcher the name here, um, Sus- Suswana River as the border between uh, New Netherland and the English colony of Virginia. Um and King Charles II just did not care at all for the Dutch claims uh, in North America. And so he granted a section of land to Connecticut. And then a couple years king later... King Charles II was not uh, a very uh, highly regarded uh, king in English history, I don't believe. So well, I'm not surprised he made the mistake. Well, here, here's the error. Um, <laughs> and this might, this you know, maybe he had some organizational issues. But then again, keep in mind, they're trying to draw maps from the other side of the globe, you know, in the 1600s, right? So yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so a couple years after granting a section of land to Connecticut uh, in 1662, he grants a portion of that same section to William Penn in Pennsylvania. And so now you have Pennsylvania and Connecticut both laying claim to... Uh, so let me get this straight. He granted the same land to somebody twice? Uh, yeah, so there's... To there's, two different people... To two different people. He granted the same land to two different entities or people. There's a small portion. Okay, there's there's he, essentially... He double-granted the land. He double-granted the land. Like, there's probably, like... Sounds like King Charles II was watching binge-watching some Netflix when he was granted that land, if yeah. I might uh, be so bold. So, so, like, the top third of Pennsylvania, he granted to Connecticut. Okay, but then... <laughs> just sad. Just, yeah, so, sad. you know, it's just not attention to detail. You know, if you're going to be king, you got to be on the ball. And... <laughs> Anyways, obviously they go through. I mean, things. I'm not the best at geography, but a third of a state. I mean, come on. Yeah, but going left to right across the top, there's this lands claimed by Connecticut until 1786, really. And so the top third of Pennsylvania. Yeah, right across. Just so they had this like giant, giant swath. Yeah, this giant line that would make Connecticut look really weird. Well, it would have been severed in half by by or well not in half, but New York would have been jutting down and cutting actual Connecticut from this chunk of Pennsylvania that Connecticut was claiming. Okay, <laughs> so it would be like a uh, a bifurcated East state. Berlin West Berlin situation. How like they, they back they had had a, one road going into the territory, one yeah. road coming out, and yeah. nothing else connecting them. So yeah, so anyways, so the uh, the overlapping claims existed into the 17th century, and by the mid 18th century, the the double land grant really be, kind of became problematic. Both colonies were purchasing the same lands by treaties from the Indians. The settlers from Connecticut kept moving in and fi- founding v- various towns. Okay, and yeah. so they had these title claims uh, to these lands, and then you end up with a series of sort of armed conflicts between citizens from Pennsylvania and citizens from Connecticut. And they're known as the the Pennamite Yankee Wars. Uh, the first oh, yeah. first one was 1769 to 1770. The second one was in 1774, and the third one was in 1784. And ultimately, they continued between the the two claimants between Connecticut and Pennsylvania, even towards the end of the American Revolutionary War. And the Continental Congress ends up upholding Pennsylvania's claim to the area, and they say, "No, this is Pennsylvania." But so they actually did their job. 
yes. there and, and settled the land dispute. They did. And it's the only land dispute settled by Congress under the Articles of Confederation. Okay. However, who was it settled in favor of before? It was settled in favor of Pennsylvania, obviously. It was settled. Yeah, no, yeah. Because there's no weird looking Connecticut. There's no weird <laughs> Con- Connecticut protectorate on the northern third yeah. of Pennsylvania. Yeah, but Pennsylvania, the legislature ends up confirming the various land titles from the Connecticut. So the people who were from Connecticut that came over and settled and said, "No, this is ours and this part of Connecticut." Once everything became mm-hmm. technically Pennsylvania. Uh, the legislator from Pennsylvania said, okay, look, you are here. You've been, this is sort of your land that you've been on and working and laying claim to. So we're going to recognize your now voided Connecticut claim to this piece of physical property. And we'll, we'll give you a a Pennsylvania title to that land. So it kind of eased the, uh, the blow to, to those, uh, particular settlers that had kind of moved in. And, and so the Wyoming Valley became part of Pennsylvania and, and those settlers from Connecticut known as Yankee settlers became Pennsylvanians officially and they're with their claims to their land. And that's kind of how it all got resolved, but it's really, that's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly the type of conflict that Hamilton seems to be you know, alluding to. That's going to happen is, Hey, you're going to start fighting over this yeah. stuff. And, you need an umpire to sort it out for you. Otherwise, it's going to escalate. It What's ironic there is that the Confederation Congress actually settled it. It I did. Mean, it seemed yeah. like they worked it out. And if they can settle that, why so can't they settle their others? That would be a good argument for uh, – I mean, we have to maybe look and see. I didn't get a chance to see if uh, any of the Anti-Federalists ever threw this back in Hamilton's face. But it would – again, here's an example of Hamilton kind of maybe – Stretching? I don't know because it would no, still be a bad. No, not because I have got a counter example. Okay. but I'm just saying in this using, using hold on, wait, using this particular <laughs> example, like you're saying, it's an example of the Articles of Confederation working, right? He's saying, "Oh, you need an umpire. The states yeah. are going to argue amongst each other." And here's an argument that went on for quite some time. There's a couple skirmishes. It, none of these wars were particularly bloody. I mean, some people got shot and a few people died along the way, but it wasn't like you know battlefields of of soldiers from the you know no. okay so, so he was you know to be fair he wasn't arguing it's going to be instantly world war three no that's true he was just arguing well, that'd that be the world war one it's going to escalate <laughs> we've just seen the beginning of it yes but, but the my my point my point to you is again if you're going to make an argument and a case for something that something's broken and it's not going to work and you need to improve upon it why use an example of when it worked to make that argument here, the articles of confederation, the continental Congress at the time, like you said, did their job, settled a dispute title land claims got resolved. And, you know, once, once the American revolution war was done and, and they got around to fixing this, um, cause this is obviously was set in motion earlier, uh, even way before the continental Congress was even around and they came on the scene and, and that continental Congress was there and they, they fixed the issue, okay? Uh, this seems, if you're, again, from a, st- a selling point from Hamilton, trying to make his case, trying to say, hey, here are all the reasons why the Continental Congress is inferior, the Articles of Confederation are inferior, and we need something more binding and stronger. Why use an example where the Continental Congress did their job and resolved a land dispute between two states? That's my question. I am going to be a Hamilton apologist here and <laughs> say that well, he he explains a little bit. He says, "Well, yeah, they decided they decided the issue." But he says, "Look," he says in the, his paper, Connecticut gave strong indica- indications of dissatisfaction with that determination. Well, and wasn't resigned to it. They were clearly eye rolling. They gave a huge eye roll when the court when they got the decision. They said, "Oh yeah, this is a really great decision. We're totally going to respect this." We're not going to continue to fight at all. And they would have probably continued to be at least very sarcastic about it anytime it was discussed until, as you said, they got some remuneration that made them happier. Yeah. So at the very least, they would have been um, very annoying in their continued griping about it if they had not been more entirely satisfied. Yeah. But I don't know if you – looked uh, much into there was another situation that the articles congress the confederation congress did not resolve okay and but, it re- and it was far closer to home the okay. terror of new york they were fearing 
armed conflict and invasion almost. Definitely, definitely a, a, a higher intensity situation. They were almost probably terrified. Wait, who? Who's terrified? Who? Who among all of the lands of the United States in the late 18th centuries who you think would have the greatest power to terrify the Empire State of New York? I, you know what? I, I will say that you know, referencing back to an earlier paper, I can see any citizen uh, not being from New York being terrified since the doctors of the time. No, it wasn't but, New York. But those, those doctors, terrifying. those doctors up in New York, you know, were waving severed arms through hospital windows. Oh, and, they're like a Frankenstein. Yeah. But it, no, I, let me be clear. <laughs> let me be clear. For any listener, you got to you got to you got to listen to an earlier episode to get the reference to that one. I apologize. Let's go ahead. <laughs> it was. I, I want to be clear. Yeah was not New York doing the terrifying. New oh, York oh. was the one who was terrified. Oh. They were they were uh, really worried about it. Who who do you think terrified New York? Who scared New York? Yeah. Let me give you one clue. Okay. One clue. Finally. I don't know who was the leader of this state at the time or this uh, this land at the time, so I'm going to give them a voice um, that is definitely not accurate but entertains me, so I'm going to use it. Okay. This territory that came out says these millionaires and these billionaires from New York, we're going to have to stand up for our rights. Let me just say one thing. <laughs> we're not going to be part of New York. <laughs> Who was it that New York was terrified about? Oh, wow. Um, who, would, who would terrify New York? Uh, With their vast strategic reserves of maple syrup, gourmet <laughs> ice cream, <laughs> ultra-liberal senators... <laughs> Uh, Not Dan, but now. Vermont. I don't know. Vermont! Yes, did I get it right? Vermont, New York. And I got uh, a story. I'll make it brief. Okay. Vermont, very similar situation. Different king, King George III, okay. not Charles II. He uh, originally, uh, there was a bunch of land that New York and New Hampshire were fighting about. And that land would eventually become the state of Vermont. And uh, King George III gave it to... Uh, New York mm -hmm. in 1764. Uh, but before that had happened, there was uh, 15 years where New Hampshire had been given out land titles to uh, people, mostly, I think mainly New, New Hampshire citizens to settle in New Hampshire. And New York said, to hell with those, we're going to give it to, we're going to sell those land titles or give those land titles to our own citizens. But by then, they don't, these people from New Hampshire had already been settling there for 15 years. And so they, uh, in 1777, well, first of all, they refused the, uh, New York refused to honor land titles. And in 1777, Vermont set its own government up, uh, or, and they wanted to be separate. Actually, they declared themselves separate in 1777, set up a government in 1778. And you might have heard of the Green Mountain Boys, a uh, famous unit during the Revolutionary War famous for how well they fought the British. They were originally set up not to fight the British. They were originally set up to fight the people from New York. Um, but it just so happened that the uh, revolution happened about the same time. How bad did it get, do you think? Hmm. It, it got, I'll tell you, it got so bad that Vermont wasn't allowed in Congress because New York said, no, this is just some breakaway province of New York. Uh, they can't be a separate state. So Vermont says, well, to hell with you guys. If you won't let us be a state, we're an independent country, and we deserve to be able to negotiate peace with Britain and be our own thing. Okay. 1784, after, you know, after the Revolutionary War was uh, winding down, the governor of New York went before the Congress and asked for the Congress to declare war on the territory of Vermont. Oh, yeah? <laughs> The response, as you could imagine, was a bit in the way of awkward silence, like, uh, well, so that didn't work. Uh, they, they figured out they weren't going to be able to take over Vermont, but they still claimed it. Yeah. Uh, and then, just to wrap it up, 1790, um, Hamilton himself starts working to get Vermont admitted as a free northern state in exchange to, close to my own heart, Kentucky being admitted uh, as a, a southern state. So Vermont was admitted as the 14th state and Kentucky uh, as the 15th uh, in 1791, 1792, respectively. 
And then, similar to the Connecticut situation, Vermont had to pay off any New Yorkers for any uh, land titles that New York had granted them to Vermont. But that was an example that's similar in how it originated, but uh, it wasn't able to be resolved by the uh, Confederation Congress. But at least they weren't invaded by the United States. Yeah. At least Vermont did not end up at war with America. Yeah, I, I'm not I, okay. I mean, that's a good example of of where it did not the Continental Congress obviously things didn't work out. I'm just are making my point before it was just you know, hey, I'm gonna sit down. It's presuming pretending I'm Hamilton, right? And I'm gonna sit down and write a paper uh, or an article in a newspaper to convince people to my point of view. Why pick an example that doesn't support what you're saying? You know. And I guess I, point, I feel like his point with the Connecticut situation yeah. is it could have been, you know, it could easily have gotten out of hand if, you know, it, I think his point was maybe that it wasn't so much that Connecticut accepted the authority of the decision. Yeah. It was that they accepted the payoff. Okay. And if they weren't paid off, maybe they would have, I don't know, grant minor the guerrilla war. Well, you know, hey, northern Pennsylvania. You know, I sit here, I sit here and we're having this conversation and I'm thinking about, it, but, you know, there is also the, uh, the trial technique of when you have bad evidence, you know, get it out in your case in chief. Don't let the other side get a chance to throw it in your face. That's true. And so, that's the way of looking at it. you know, maybe that's what Hamilton was doing here is, yeah, he's got an example. It's not the best, but he can diffuse it, the strength of the argument if he gets it and puts it in his own light here. Uh, where you say, you know, he kind of says, look, you know, Connecticut kind of went off into the night, but grumbled about it and focused more on that and not uh, the fact that, Technically, the Continental Congress worked, and you can kind of control the control the narrative on the bad news, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's what he's doing. So, all right. So, you know, fair play to Hamilton. I like to think you he's relying, he <laughs> relies probably more on the, the Vermont example than the Connecticut example. Yeah. I feel like he wants the Connecticut example to be one where it could have been worse. Mm-hmm. I think he uses the Vermont example because remember when he's written writing this, the dispute's really not settled yet. Yeah, I mean, it's not really finally settled until after the Constitution is ratified, which is mm-hmm. after this paper. Mm-hmm. So there's limited there's limited information available on it. But my yeah. impression is that the New Yorkers were a little bit afraid of, uh, you know, the armed and dangerous Vermonters traipsing in over the northern borders if they just got fed up. Uh, who, who knew? I mean, it's funny how things change because, uh, you know, as I sit here today, when I think of a group – a it was an angrier Vermont. Back a, a, oh, maybe because I mean, when I think of a particular section of the country, I'm not going to name names. But if I was going to think of a particular section of the country that was a little quicker to 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 want to go grab their guns uh, and start shooting and being angry, Vermont is not the one that I would pick. I'm not going to ask you to pick either, and I'm not going to because I don't want to disparage anybody. But that's not the one that would jump to mind. So it's funny how. Perception, perceptions anger. change, <laughs> but when you got, when you cross the line, they'll let you know. Yeah, and they certainly let New York know. I mean, I would imagine they were probably none too pleased about uh, uh, when they heard that New York asked the U.S. Congress to declare war on them. I yeah. imagine that that's that's got to be an awkward conversation when you <laughs> next talk to someone from New York about yeah. <laughs> uh, hey what's going on in congress what's going on at the federal level right now no, i heard no, you guys were trying to kind of declare war on us what's up with that <laughs> yeah that would be what what's a few declarations of <laughs> what, war between what, friends yeah. what do you say after that right you want you guys want to come up for a barbecue you know <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's 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 hard to back off from that one yeah uh, but you know i i guess the impression i got with the declaration of war, because I have to admit, it's not something I heard about previously, is it could have been like a bit of a Fox of the Grace thing. You know, they obviously knew that the gains for the United States about engaging in war with Vermont would be, let's say, limited yeah. at best. Yeah. But, you know, it's like New York had wanted Vermont for so long, <laughs> all of the wonders, wonders that they could have there, but those Vermonters are just... Uh, they're a stubborn lot, and yeah. they've been trying to get it for so damn long. They've finally given up on it. And, we're, and then finally, you know, they got to preserve their pride. And so they go to Congress, and they're like, well, Vermont's stupid anyways. We don't even want it. Why don't we just go to war with it? It's just dumb. We wouldn't even want Vermont. I know I wouldn't. Yeah. No, 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 one does. no. No one does. Let's just destroy it. Yeah. And everyone else in Congress is like, 
Uh, no. <laughs> Rutgers, what's what's going on? What's going on with New York? Yeah, that I, I haven't searched the archives, but yeah. uh, I'm sure there could be a resolution that would read in modern terms like one of those memes of like, go home, New York, you're obviously drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, we got, okay, so this is, uh, through the land disputes of Hamilton kind of keyed off here. Um, yeah, let's but he talk ha- money. Ma- talk let's money. Talk money money make, makes the world go round. So, yeah, let's talk money. Let's talk about uh, some of the things he mentions about money. What do, what do you got there for us? Well, let, the general framework, why are we, you know, there's two parts of the money issue. Mm-hmm. You know, you got, well, number one, generally, states are going to be trying to, fa- you know, favor their own with commerce and, and uh, you know, prejudice others. Yeah. And that's going to be a, a cause of conflict. But, you know, there's also a very specific issue here, mm-hmm. which is it, it's been uh, some, some amount of time since the uh, Revolutionary War ended. Uh, you know, they're trying to get uh, – it's been a few years, and uh, they're still trying to pay off their war debts. Mm-hmm. And the states are still fighting. You know, the, the nation still owes it. The states can't agree on how to pay it. And the Articles of Confederation really doesn't give an ability for the nation to raise money without changing the Articles of Confederation. Mm-hmm. And that requires a unanimous vote. And so if they're going to get any tariff power, they got to get everybody to agree. And so, you know, that's something that really frustrates Hamilton because you've got yeah. you know, some states standing in the way. Over and over again. And let me let me Hamilton sums it up here in one little snippet, and I'm just going to read this one part of this paper. Uh, he goes, "There is perhaps nothing more likely to disturb the tranquility of nations than their being bound to mutual contributions for any object that does not yield an equal and coincident benefit. For it is an observation as true as it is trite that there is nothing men differ so readily about as the payment of money." Uh, and I think that That's God's honest truth. You know, so. Uh, <laughs> I can test too many times in college when we were trying to divide up the cost of, the cost of pizza. Pizza, yeah. Yeah, I always have the jerk who is like, oh, I'm just going to have a piece. So here's like 50 cents or a buck or something. Yeah. I mean, I know we would order cheap pizza, but come yeah. on, do your yeah. fair share. And then the pizza yeah. gets there, and you have as much as everybody else. I yeah. mean, and, and that's not even the affairs of nations. I mean, but yeah. Hamilton could have easily written in there about my college pizza experience. Absolutely. Or, or you know, <laughs> hey, let's be honest. Some of the places you order pizza from college, because like you said, you don't necessarily get like the high-end pizza. Might exactly. Be, might be. All right. So some of those places, you know, they just kind of cut them this way and that. And not all, you know, eight slices are necessarily the same size, right? So that guy, that dude that says, oh, here's my dollar towards like the $15 pizza. And he grabs the biggest slice. You know? <laughs> yeah, he wants the biggest slice and he wants you know? an extra slice. Yeah. And you know, whoops it down, and there's one left, one one left in the box, and he says, "Hey, I'm gonna grab that too, as long as no one's gonna call me out and say anything about it." So, anyways, we're getting off. Uh, so yeah, a- Hamilton, I think, hits the nail <laughs> square on the head. People complain about money. Uh, I don't, and how to pay it, and who owes what, and how to apportion it. And you mentioned about how you know the states have to repay this debt from the war, and Hamilton talks about like how are we ever gonna agree on that if you don't have? I mean, we're basically, you know, we're arguing. He's saying at the time, you know, they're arguing about it now. How are yeah. you? Gonna, you know, how are you going to do this if you don't have some type of strong federal government? Because you know, good luck uh, if you guys aren't unified trying to figure that you out. Guys, you know, <laughs> got to have that same umpire. Yeah, who goes online, orders the pizza, and tells everybody how much they owe, and then how they're going to pay it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just have people you need to do that with, especially if you're dealing with. The slimeball state that is the equivalent of the guy who won't pay for his pizza. The state that's legendarily always trying to destroy America in the early years. Who, is that Vermont Peter again? America. What's that? Is that Vermont again? No. No. no? Okay. Vermont, who? Okay. They're not even state then. All right. They're, they're just fighting for their rights. Okay. What state have I found more reasons to scorn so far than any of the state. I can only be speaking, of course, of Rhode Island. Rhode Island. There you go. Rhode Island. Rhode Island strikes again here. From Hell's Heart, Carrie stabs at the Rhode Island. <laughs> Once again, you know, Rhode Island is a state that won't pay for its pizza. Yep. It is a wonder that we have a United States of America today, despite the efforts of Rhode Island to drag all of us down into the muck with them. Uh, Hamilton didn't really explicitly lay it out here in the paper, but I did some side research 
Because I saw, he mentions Rhode Island. He mentions some issues with Rhode Island. And when it comes to Rhode Island, when there's smoke, there's fire, Rhode Island is like cockroaches. Okay. If it looks like they did one bad thing, they did a hundred bad things. And right. that was the case. Well, you're... <laughs> Rhode Island, once again here. Cockroaches? Really? The whole, <laughs> the whole country is trying to pay off its war, war debt so they don't get bankrupt. Or like we talked about in another paper, we don't have the Dutch or... France, whoever bringing their boats over as collection yeah. agents, taking all of our money and taking our buildings that we like so much in payment. Mm -hmm. um, we, everybody else got together and they said, hey, we're going to have a national 5% tariff uh, to pay off our war debt. Hamilton was advancing the plan. Who opposed it? Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Said, no, no. No, we can't do that. I'm sorry. And, you know, because of the Articles of Confederation, the tariff isn't in the Articles. There's no revenue mechanism in the Articles of Confederation. So to do it, it's not just a simple majority. they got to change the Articles. And so, again, why are the Articles weak? Because it requires unanimous consent. So you can have this just little tiny cockroach of a state, Rhode Island, stand <laughs> against everybody else because they don't want to pay their fair share. They're like, you know, you guys, you guys go pay... Go pay this stuff you want to. We just had like we just wanted like one slice of freedom. That's all we were, we weren't even really hungry at the time. So you guys were gonna order it anyways, right? Yeah, so you were obviously <laughs> gonna order this freedom anyways. You were gonna order this revolutionary war pizza anyways. Yeah, you know. We just didn't want to be rude and like say we weren't interested. We felt like we'd feel you'd feel awkward. But yeah. I mean, it's totally unfair that you want us to pay one thirteenth of the price now because, you know, we barely ate, like, even half a slice. We took a slice, we cut it in half, and we just had half, half a slice. So, no, the U.S., in eight, you know, from oh, 1850, hey. 1781 on, they can't yeah. pay their debt. Rhode Island gets in the way. They won't. And so they're, they have no mechanism because all they could do is go begging. The, the federal government can go around with its little tin cup asking people to put money in the jar or something to help pay off the war debts, yeah. and it wasn't working out too well. So so just to add fuel to your fire, I'm going to remind mm -hmm. um, um, every, everybody, in case you hadn't listened to our earlier episodes, and, and to remind you again, when we were talking before, um, and this might have been in one of the first couple, I forget, about the background as far as why um, – the constitutional I hate Rhode Island. Yeah, well, no, Constitutional <laughs> Convention. Remember we talked about the Annapolis Convention. Uh, it was sort of yes. how, how how we got here and, and why why having the papers. Uh, and I mentioned in there that one of the things that we talked about were these disputes about money between the states. And Rhode Island was imposing all this tax and these tariffs on anything that went up and down the post road um, yep. that linked all the states together because they were in a prime position to be able to do that, right? Um, so once yep. again, Rhode Island. Bringing everybody down. So. Oh, that's not all. That's not all. <laughs> oh. Well, I, I, didn't even, I didn't even talk about Rhode Island bucks yet. Okay. Because <laughs> like I said, that's just the thing Hamilton is nice enough to talk about. Yeah. There's more. When there's smoke, there's fire with Rhode Island. Okay. 1786. Again, they're trying to get their debts collected. Yeah. And they divide, you know, okay, let's divide up among the states who's going to pay them. So Rhode Island, rather than, you know, Again, trying to use hard currency that they can give to other countries to pay mm -hmm. off their debts. Mm -hmm. Rhode Island starts issuing uh, this paper money called Rhode Island pounds. You kidding me? Uh, no, no. And they pass, and a lot of states issue their own money. Okay. Um, and they a lot of you know several states will issue you know have bills and so, you know have laws. I should say yeah. have bills. They have laws saying that uh, you know. And again, this is some, one of the things that precipitated Shea's Rebellion. Uh -huh. you, know, you have to take this, the paper money that was printed to pay debts, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, the good of the paper money versus the good of hard currency, which would be needed to pay overseas creditors. Yeah. So Rhode Island essentially are, you know, you know, after they start printing this money for a while, they try to pay off their war debt with these Rhode Island pounds. <laughs> they give it to the federal – the U.S. Congress and say, "Oh, here we go. We printed all this money yeah. to pay off our debt. Here's a billion-dollar pound. Like, 
we're out. We're out of here. We got to pay it off. I shouldn't say uh, like a billion. Yeah, a billion pound note, right? Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, just stamp that sucker off right there and just turn it in. We're good to go, right? The US Congress, they were less than impressed. I mean, like yeah. you know, you and I are friends and everything, but yeah. if you owe me a hundred bucks, I just cut you a, a Justin bucks, dollar. Yeah. You give me some Justin bucks. Well, yeah. Carrie, I don't know what you're talking about. I gave you a thousand bucks worth of Justin bucks. Yeah. I mean, we're square, obviously. <laughs> and I might not think we're square. But yeah, Rhode Island pounds is another thing that Hamilton was pretty frustrated with <laughs> because uh, you might, I would guess the, the, the luck of the, Federate, the Confederation Congress in getting uh, European countries to accept Rhode Island bucks as mm-hmm. payment for debt. Probably was not very successful, but uh, it was funny. There was a lot, some articles about the experience of Rhode Island with their Rhode Island bucks, how they passed a law to say that you had to uh, accept them and you would the, the General Assembly of Rhode Island, would, you would be a committing offense against it if you didn't. Yeah. But there's like a bunch of stories about people who – all these like people who owed a bunch of money went and grabbed all these Rhode Island bucks. Yeah. And then they would go to the people they owed money to and say, oh, I've got you paid off. Here's all these Rhode Island bucks. Yeah. There's stories about like people, creditors, people who owed a lot of money for like, you know, big things like farms and houses, you know, like yeah. big ticket islands. They would like be literally jumping out of windows or running down the street in terror to avoid being paid off in Rhode Island bucks, you know, because it could wipe you out. You know, yeah. say you hold a mortgage title for like a three – a hundred thousand dollar house or the equivalent or two hundred thousand dollar house, yeah. suddenly somebody comes and pays you with monopoly money. Yeah. And you can't enforce anything else. You know, it was it was pandemonium at the time. Jeez. So again, the Scofflaw, Rhode Island, trying to trying to destroy America once again. It's it's amazing how many instances you find of Rhode Island uh, being anti America <laughs> in the first uh, few decades of our and, country. And and just as a disclaimer, this is uh, <laughs> uh, in anti-colonial case, America. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and this, this is not reflective of our current views towards anybody actually in Rhode Island today. Oh, salt the earth, salt But failing that, very small state. Yes. So um, they just keep um, popping up, Rhode Island. popping up here in the in the Federalist Papers in examples. Um, well, I think we gotta call them out. I think we do. Yeah, I mean, so. the the re- historical record can't be silent on some of these actions. You know, there's accountabilities needed, <laughs> and that's 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 our goal. Um, so calling people to the mat. But those sort, you can see though where those type of situations of yeah. not even being able to pay your war debt. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of thing that can rip rip the countries apart because if it's donation only. Uh-huh. You know, say the state of New York donates a whole lot of money, and then you've got a state like Rhode Island that doesn't pay any real money into the cause. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty soon, uh, you know, the states that paid a lot feel like they have they should get more power and more rights in the federal government than states that really aren't contributing. The taker states, yeah, for lack of a better, word. yeah, yeah. And and Hamilton talks about it. he just you know he says you know how would it possibly be possible to everybody agree upon a rule of apportionment. You know, um, when talking about I think about that's what he's talking about yeah. is that war debt stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, in note, yeah. I would note that and, uh, yeah. the U.S. Congress under the Constitution was able to apportion it out and get it paid off under Hamlin's guidance. They, you know, they passed some taxes and it got resolved. You know, that would yeah. tend to tend strengthen Hamilton's cause of like it was strong enough and it was able to generate enough revenue. It does, yeah. And, that. And, Resolve things now. He, he, he I won't go into this enough time, but we're okay. in paying off in paying off the debt. Ironically, before we talked about the Shays Rebellion leading to the U.S. Constitution, yeah, Hamlin pays off his debt. But in what did he? What? How did he do it? Uh, the caused the Whiskey Rebellion. You know, a conflict out uh, again over. Uh, he passed a bunch of whiskey tariffs, uh, okay. and there was conflict all over. The big difference is. The Whiskey Rebellion was crushed a lot earlier, or uh, more decisively, than Shays Rebellion. Well, I tell you what, uh, I'm a little rusty. But that's for Well, no, hold on. We can't just leave it hanging out there real quick. Just give, it, give us a couple minutes, uh, if you can, uh, real quick. Summation here, Whiskey Rebellion. What, what went down? Nutshell version. Well, I'll only give you the, the broadest outlines of Nutshell. Yeah, Because yeah. it, it, 
you could fill a you know a whole episode. Oh, uh, sure. And I, but uh, you it's know, a full, it's a rebellion. You know, how can yeah. it not? So, yeah. so sort of you know, Hamilton you know, under the new government came into power, and he was looking for ways to pass to uh, settle the uh, national debt pretty quickly. Yeah, and uh, he. Uh, you know, they did this attacks on uh, whiskey distillation, um, and he did it on both large and you know large companies and small farmers. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, the large companies were able to do a discounted rate because it's more easy to measure. But the uh, small, you know, the farmers types who did in this spare time had to do it on every you know still they had. Oh, wow. But uh, there was a lot of rebellion against it because uh, they felt like it was a four man's tax. Uh, and that the wealthy weren't paying their fair share. And hmm. they were tarring and feathering a lot of the collectors who would go out into the hinterlands to try to collect on the on those stills. Wow. There's a lot of violence. But so, then they sent military forces into squashing that. And I would be remiss here if I didn't fully credit uh, a, a good portion of my knowledge here actually comes from uh, another podcast called The Dollop did a, a great episode on it. Okay. Uh, well, so the, uh, uh, let's that's, and it was quite interesting. More things change, the more they stay the same, right? Here you have a rural rural population that feels as though the uh, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer because of the taxation system. So uh, even then, uh, things echo through. It's an eternal struggle from from then to today. Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but Hamilton does make the, the point because we we talked about hey, you know, if if the states start printing off their own monopoly money and they can't pay the foreign debt, or if we're arguing amongst ourselves, he writes, you know, the citizens of the states would. Um, I'm sorry, the citizens of the states interested would clamor. Foreign powers uh, would urge for the satisfaction of their just demands, and the peace of the states would be hazard to the double contingency of it, both external invasion and internal contention. And so, you know, what he's alluding to there, I think, is pretty clear. It's like, you know, if we're sitting around squabbling about paying off our own debt, that's only going to go so long before someone comes and just collects. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and they might collect by attempting to take back some or all. Or, or take a portion, not necessarily take back, but uh, if we're not, if they're not going to get paid for it in hard currency, they might come and take and get attempt to be paid for it by by taking of land and natural resources. There's going to be consequences. Yeah, there's going to um, be consequences. Clearly, I think we might be. I don't know where time is looking like right now, but I think maybe we start heading to the wrap up. I like the format we did. The one thing I, the one thing I think we might have done right in episode six is I, I liked our closing format. I mean, we repeat again of like. What do you think here is Hamilton's strongest arguments? What are his weakest arguments? Are you buying it? And uh, are they buying it, the readers at the time? I think it, it, Hamilton comes across better in this paper. He, I think, keeps it straight. and uh, It's it's much more streamlined, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he says, look, there's two big points here. There's issues that people are going to argue about land. And then, of course, the every, one something that everyone can understand is – People don't like to be to part with their money, okay? And so, and it's and, true. and if it's you're true. owed if you're owed money, you want to be paid. And so, all those are things that people can get and they can understand. And I think they could see and grasp a hold of, regardless of their education level at the time. And so, I think they, if someone reads this one, I think they listen to it and say, you know what, Hamilton knows what he's talking about, because uh, and keep in mind. So they're buy, they're buying it. I, I think I think they buy this paper, and now. I don't know that if people read every single one. I mean, I'm my my guess, and it's complete guess, um, is that you know the average person is is reading a few of these here or there. They might miss an episode, you know, and then catch some yeah. catch the party up and say, "Hey, did you read that one? No, I missed that one. This is what it said, you know, that kind of thing." Uh, but this is one that I think everyone, if they're standing around, could understand easily and yeah. and could could agree with, unlike. The prior paper episode, you know, number six, that you know, you needed to carry an encyclopedia with you in order to, you know, to get through <laughs> all of all of it the references. You know, brick walls are a bit dense. Okay, that was I really had to, like, <laughs> pick pieces of my brain back up off the floor and yeah. put it back together after that. So that's my thought. Is I mean, I okay. I, I agree with him. I think he's uh, pointed. I think he gets across what he wants to get across, and he does it in a, in what I what I would consider to be uh, a reasonable manner. Um, I don't know if Hamilton cares what my opinion is as far as if he did it in a reasonable fashion or not. But <laughs> he might be beyond caring at this point. It probably, you know what I mean. But I mean, if he's looking down or whatever, you know, maybe you know, who are you to say? Right. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I yeah, I think I think he I think he did a good job. What well, about you? Well, I'm going to start with the strongest point. You know, I think he really ties it up 
more explicitly here in a great way when he's he's basically this whole this whole article he's basically rhetorically he's rhetorically asking why is it that we're thinking the states could end up fighting each other and he answers it he really answers yeah. it in this you know he says well number one they already have been just I mean not necessarily with guns are all the time but they have been yeah. land trade etc number two uh, the states have things that they could fight about land money except I mean you know, that's a requirement. If you, do you have something to fight about? Clearly they do. Mm-hmm. And in three, why are they going to fight it with each other? Uh, because that's what different governments who want the same things do. And yeah. the people at the time would have understood, for an example of that, see Europe generally. <laughs> European history, especially pre-World War II, yeah. is a long, uninterrupted list of examples of Governments who wanting want the same things, fighting over them constantly. Yeah, and so it probably didn't seem like a crazy idea that if the articles government proved to be really really weak or fell apart, that the same exact thing could happen in uh, North America with the colonies. Mm-hmm. What is his weakest point? I think he pointed it out really well, which is once again. His argument that the Articles of the Confederation as a government structure is too weak to get things done is somewhat undercut by his own examples. You know, he gives an example here of the Connecticut-Wyoming Valley struggle. Uh, yeah, New, can, whatever can, the heck it was. Connecticut-New York arguing Connecticut, over New a York, slice of – Yeah. Uh, no, old, sorry, sorry. Hold on. Wait. Connecticut-Pennsylvania uh, arguing over – uh, a slice of land that they were both granted. And New York wasn't involved in that. That's right. Yeah. But confusing struggle over land, but whatever the heck it was, the Confederation Congress seemed to actually resolve it. it yeah. they, they got the job done. And again, if the Articles of Confederation as a structure seemed to be getting things done, it undercuts the idea that they can't get things done. Yeah. Um, am I buying it? <sighs> Yeah, I guess I am. Despite the, that one weak point, I think overall he makes a decent case. Yeah. You know, especially when you look at the history of Europe that they would have been available, you know, that you see of, uh, you know, weak alliances falling apart and people fighting over the same thing. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the history of Britain is a great example of, you know, always a country having, you know, changing alliances, strategic balance of power. Yeah. Um, same similar thing in New York could have been the England of the colonies, you know, mm-hmm. siding with different powers for its own game. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm reaching there, but in any case, I, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I'm buying. I could see it happening. He makes a persuasive case, but more importantly, probably to U.S. history and to Hamilton is the fact that I think the people at the time were buying it as this this particular paper yeah. as an isolated example. I think that this one was probably one that was sold pretty easily to people. They're like, yeah, there's been a lot of fighting lately. There's been a lot of strife lately between mm-hmm. states, between, you know, people in the government, uh, i.e. Shays Rebellion, between classes yeah. of people. Um, things sort of seem to be going to hell in a handbasket. So maybe we do need this. So, yeah, yeah. I think he, I think he, uh, maybe, even if he didn't hit a home run on this one, he at least got a couple of bases out of it, maybe two or three. Hey, I mean, I, just from a, a structural pers- perspective of, of making an argument, he defines what he wants to say. He keeps it straightforward. He gives examples that are on point. I think for the most part help him. There's the one that we talked about with the with the Pennsylvania, Connecticut thing is potentially undermining. But then you know I sit here now and I think to myself that perhaps, like I said, he's just trying to, you know, control the argument about a particular example that uh, may have hurt him more if. The Anti-Federalists grabbed it and, and championed it. So he, if he casts a particular light on it, he can soften the blow uh, to his he overall case. He certainly spun it well. You know, he I did. Feel like he certainly you know. spun it yeah. well. So, uh, you know, all that said, again, compared to the litany, uh, just, just the laundry list of examples that he gave last time, I feel like this was uh, m- much more on point and, and, and easier to understand 
and when you're trying to convince somebody of something, that's usually those are good things to have on your side as far as the way yeah. you know uh, you go about doing it. Six was yeah. a bad PowerPoint presentation, and this one was a, was a clearly written, yeah, clearly, clearly written argument. Yeah, and yeah, I hope he does more like this in the future as opposed to so the, do I. Uh, <laughs> bullet points, Wikipedia article bullet points. So do I, because it'll it'll make our conversations a little bit easier to have. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, I think we so, said about all we can be that can be said about about uh, well about episode seven and about article seven. I think so. I think so. So again, for the listeners, hopefully, um, uh, thanks for sticking around with us. If you're a first time, that's great. Uh, if you choose to go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes, um, our apologies for any kind of sound issues. Uh, I think hopefully this will come across as being better uh, in this episode, and we'll continue to refine the sound as we go forward to see if we can tweak it. Uh, and make all even, the past sound issues better. with the fault of Rhode Island. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get we're gonna get emails from people in Rhode Island that are gonna be like, "Why do you hate our Shh. state?" <laughs> Bring them on. Bring them. Oh, we've explained. I think we've explained. <laughs> okay, <laughs> direct those to Carrie. Colonial Rhode Island. So, Colonial Rhode Island. Colonial Rhode. Okay. All right. Yeah. And uh, if I'm there sure, are any Colonial Rhode Islanders still then around, I will take whatever issues they have up. Okay. With them. Yes. All right. Um, and, and again, you know, for the, for the listeners, thanks for sticking around with us or thanks for joining us. And, and as we discuss and we go through all these papers, uh, be sure to check us out on iTunes, Podbean, um, Podbay. Uh, good. Well, those are a few. And, uh, we'll see you in episode eight. See you in episode eight. So goodbye, everybody. Mm-hmm.